This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, July 6, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. Social Security's finances won't get better without serious reform, and proposed reforms vary widely. Cato Institute senior fellow Jagadish Gokhale is author of the new book, Social Security, A Fresh Look at Policy Alternatives. In it, he evaluates the major conservative and liberal plans for reform. Well, clearly the two extremes are on the conservative side. Um, analysts or people on the political right want to uh, implement structural reforms to the system beyond just fixing its financial shortfall because they perceive the current system as being unfair because it treats certain groups uh, uh, less well than others, financially speaking. Um, It... uh, causes a lot of bad incentives in terms of uh, retiring early even though you're healthy, uh, uh, saving less, uh, and long-range disincentives to acquire education because if you're not going to use that education for a long period of time because you retire early, it's then not worth acquiring that education in the first place as much. So all of these incentives uh, are... Um, anti-growth and uh, along with the unfairness of the fiscal treatment or what we call imposing different tax burdens on different types of groups for example if you belong to a group that have a high mortality on average then you don't collect benefits for as long so your lifetime uh, taxes you pay are much larger than some other groups who have high, mor- high uh, low mortality, rather. The uh, chief example that people use is uh, black men in the United black States. Black men uh, live uh, through their early 70s, whereas white men and women live through their late 70s or early 80s on average, which means they collect many more years of benefits. And if you have any regard for equity uh, right. in a system where right. you pay your whole and life. This, this looks like systematic uh, uh, discrimination against certain groups. It's not that it's... Uh, we would say that if the person doesn't live for a long period of time, he doesn't need the benefits, so it's good that it's, you know he gets less benefits over life. That's the insurance kind of argument. But this is not a random thing anymore. We're not talking about uh, the same mean and a, a big variance around a given life expectancy. We're talking about different life expectancies on average, which means if you impose uh, uh, thresholds on what age you must be before you retire, and then you you can collect benefits for the rest of your life, well, if some people systematically die earlier, you're discriminating against them through the system. What is the conservative case for reform? So conservatives want to structurally change the system. They also want to change the system to introduce new features like uh, owning your own retirement resources through private accounts, being able to bequeath your life savings uh, to your children and grandchildren, uh, and having control and freedom to dispose of your retirement savings as you want, to invest them, first of all, as you want, given your preferences on risks Uh, financial risk that you may be able to tolerate versus not. So to match your life savings and their disposition according to your preferences is something that conservatives value and therefore they want to introduce private accounts. Uh, 
On the other hand, on the other extreme, uh, liberal-leaning analysts and economists or policymakers want to preserve the existing system. It's their legacy. It's their creation, and therefore, therefore they want to preserve it structurally as much as possible. So they want to preserve the benefit promise that the system involves for current generations as well as future generations. But given that it faces a financial shortfall, they want to add resources or add revenues to the system, either by bringing in new sources of revenue like devoting estate tax revenues to the system or investing the uh, trust fund surpluses and private equities to earn a higher rate of return, uh, uh, or other means by just raising the uh, tax base by eliminating the taxable maximum uh, ceiling on uh, uh, payroll tax uh, tax uh, subject to uh, payroll earnings subject to taxes. Uh, so, but they don't want to touch benefits. They want they prefer tax side solutions to uh, over benefit side solutions. So, uh, that's their approach. And so, if you if you've defined the conservative approach. Uh, involving structural changes and introducing private accounts versus the uh, liberal approach, which is to preserve the structure of the current system and emphasize tax side uh, reforms that would add revenues to the system. A centrist reform would basically split the difference, you might say. So you could uh, choose some plans that borrow from both uh, sides, which is introduce private accounts. Maybe the private accounts are financed through uh, bringing in more resources, what are called add-on accounts, uh, but also have a carve-out account, which is to uh, devote part of existing payroll taxes to personal accounts. They would also uh, have uh, some tax side changes and some benefit benefit side changes. So uh, balance, a reasonably balanced mix, uh, at least overtly, uh, might be called centrist, but you can't really decide whether a plan is really consistent with the centrist label unless you actually examine whether the tax side or the benefit side reforms are stronger or weaker and so on. So it was really a conundrum to select which of the reform proposals that are out there to evaluate. And eventually I settled on two centrist plans. One was by Colby Stenham Boyd that was praised by both the left and the right as being balanced uh, and uh, going far towards solving the system's financial uh, imbalance. And on the other, the other plan I selected was the, was the liebman mcgainer samvik plan, which was criticized by both sides uh, because it, from, me, from their different perspectives, they thought this plan uh, incorporated too many, of, too many of the other sides preferred reform elements. But it turns out that the liebman mcginnis samvik plan, under my evaluation, is uh, quite centrist. It is balanced in all its respects, uh, also balanced in terms of imposing kind of a fair distribution of the adjustment costs across generations, providing reasonable retirement adequacy in terms of the benefits uh, that it uh, provides and so on, on different measures. The Colby-Stenham-Boyd plan turns out under my evaluation to lean towards the more conservative side because its tax side uh, 
elements are weaker than its benefit side reforms. Well, um, can you give a quick wrap up of what policymakers should keep in mind in when evaluating reforms that that maybe isn't on the table very very much? Well, the key issue is there are two key issues. One is when official agencies make their projections of Social Security's finances, uh, are they using the appropriate and adequate methodology to do so? And I'm suggesting that they're not because they don't track changes in worker attributes that my analysis shows would lean more and increasingly towards attributes that make for less worker productivity over time. So total worker productivity and therefore the payroll tax base and therefore the system's benefits and the system's finances would depend on not just the number of workers that are available in the future relative to beneficiaries, but also the quality or their productivity of those workers. And it's the product of labor quantity and labor quality that's important to track. If you just track labor quantity, you're likely to miss important effects on the system's finances. And the second element is the way in which we uh, look at the system's finances, the metrics that we use to judge whether a particular reform plan performs well or not are relatively limited. Uh, the official agencies mostly uh, uh, calculate what is known as the replacement rate, which is the rate of benefits relative to pre-retirement earnings. Well, that's just an annual amount that we're talking about. How much does the person receive in annual benefits relative to annual pre-retirement earnings? That's inadequate because Social Security is a lifetime program and it affects people uh, throughout their career as workers and then uh, after retirement throughout until death. So it's a lifetime program, and therefore the inequities of the program are not revealed by just looking at an annual replacement rate on an annual basis. You need to look at metrics that span the entire lifetime, such, that, such as a lifetime net tax rate or benefit adequacy or the mix between traditional benefits versus personal account benefits to evaluate or compare across different proposals. So it's both the methodology and the metrics that are used to evaluate the uh, program as it exists and the effect of different reforms. I think on both counts, the official evaluations fall short. Jagadish Gokhale is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. You can get your copy of his new book, Social Security, A Fresh Look at Policy Alternatives, at cato.org.